You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it was the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Good morning, Reality. Happy Easter. How are you guys? Good? That's our text this morning. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are risen indeed. And we celebrate that today, God. We celebrate that in our hearts. We celebrate that with songs and singing and stomping and clapping and Lord, we celebrate it, and I pray, Lord, that you would make it known to us, Lord. I, I pray that it wouldn't just be some sort of faith thing, that we, would, that we would really know it. And so I ask, God, that today you would um, you'd speak to us, that you would give faith to those who are, in, are here and they want to believe. And there's some things I know that mentally are really hard to believe about the resurrection. And so I pray, God, that you would give us faith, you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and God, I ask for your anointing. Would you use me? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is what I want to do today. First, what I want to do is, um, it might be kind of um, 
abrupt at the very beginning. What, what I want to do is I want to define for you the resurrection. So I'm going to get kind of punchy here at the very beginning because I, I don't want you to come in here and go, well, what, what in the world is he talking about? Like I'm, we're talking about the resurrection. We're like, he is risen. And then the church says, he is risen indeed. And it's fun. And, but what are we saying when we say that? So the first thing that I want to do this morning is I want to define for you what the resurrection is. But what, also what I want to do is I want to show you, and what I hope to show you is what the resurrection means. And I want to use Luke's narrative, probably my favorite of the four gospel narratives of the resurrection account. So I want to define it, and then I want to show you from the text in Luke what it means. So first, what is the resurrection of the dead? This might polarize some people, but stay with me, please. N.T. Wright, a famous um, historian, said, Resurrection in the first century meant someone physically, thoroughly dead, becoming physically, thoroughly alive again. Not simply surviving or entering into a purely spiritual world. Resurrection denoted a new embodied life which would follow whatever life after death there might be. Actually, he wanted to call his book Life After, Life After Death, but no one would have understood what he was talking about. So he didn't. He said, Resurrection is life after this life after death. Resurrection was, by definition, not the existence into which someone might go immediately upon death. It was not a disembodied heavenly life. It was a further stage, out beyond all that. It was, a re- it was not a redescription or a redefinition of death. Listen, it was death's reversal. Resurrection is the reversal of death. So when we say the resurrection or happy resurrection Sunday or he is risen, that Jesus is risen indeed, we are saying that Jesus didn't come back as a ghost. We're not saying that. We're not saying Jesus died and then he came back as a ghost and they saw him in visions. They're like, oh, that's cute. You know, um, Jesus the friendly ghost visited us. That's not what we're saying. We weren't saying that the, that the disciples imagined that he was there in a, some special way. You know, he died like, well, he's, he was our friend. We feel him. We, we just kind of sense his presence with us. And he's kind of given us a new spiritual vitality. And when we embody his teachings, we feel like he's among us. We're not saying that either. What the resurrection means is that Jesus, after being crucified under Roman professional executors, and they were very good at what they did, he died. He was buried And he came back to life again, conquering death. And we are saying that this is a fact, both historically and theologically. It has historic uh, certainty and theological potency. We are saying that there is no Christianity apart from the resurrection. If there was no resurrection of Jesus, then there is no Christianity. There is no church. John Stott, who was a famous British Anglican minister, said, Christianity in its very essence, is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Timothy Keller, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Reason for God, Belief in the Age of Skepticism, writes, sometimes people approach me and say, I really struggle with this aspect of Christian teaching. I mean, I like this part of Christian belief, but I don't think I can accept accept that part. I usually respond, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. This is how the first hearers felt who heard reports of the resurrection. They knew that if it is true, and it meant that we can't live our lives any way we want. 
It also meant that we don't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. The Apostle Paul, who wrote very recently after the resurrection of Jesus, said in 1 Corinthians, If Christ has not been risen, then all our preaching is useless, and your, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. That's what we're saying when we say that Christ is risen from the dead, that Jesus is risen. Now, that might sound a little bit abrasive, a little bit harsh, like, well, I thought you're supposed to ease into these sort of Easter teachings. That was supposed to be easy, like you share a funny story, an antidote or something, and then talk about your life, make us laugh. I thought, I, I really want you to get right away so you're not guessing as we're talking. What we're saying when we say Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, allow me to put some flesh on that because you might be wrestling with this a little bit. And the way I want to look at it is through the narrative account of Luke when he talks about the resurrection. It's fun. It's playful. It's exciting. Jesus shows up to these, this couple, if you remember as it was just read, these couple, this couple is, is leaving Jerusalem and all these, all these angels are buzzing around it. And there's rumors that Jesus is risen, but they leave for some reason. And then Jesus strolls up right behind him. He's like super playful. He's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what are you guys, what, what are you guys all, all worked up? And he's like, are, are you like the only one who doesn't know what's going on in these days? He's like, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? What things? It's so playful. And Jesus, and actually the story goes on and we'll read it at the conclusion of this, of this teaching. But the, what this, this text teaches us, I think it first teaches us that you are not the first skeptic. You're not the first skeptic. If you heard what, was, what I just said about the resurrection, and you were thinking, there's no way in the world I'm believing that. I mean, I was invited here, or I'm here, and I go to church pretty regularly, but, you know, I, and I, I love the Christian teachings, I love the teachings of Jesus, and the worship, and the music, but you're, no, you're never going to get me to really believe, or trust in as fact, that the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. I mean, uh, he, his teachings were great, but the fact that he died, all dead, buried, and rose from the dead, I'm just not going to believe that. Well, you're not the first skeptic. See, there is something compelling about Jesus, something that's attractive about him as a teacher, him as a leader, as a lover, and a forgiver. I think the issue that we have with Jesus is not his teachings. We can almost all agree here in the Bay Area that Jesus' lifestyle, you know, being essentially homeless, living off the grain of the land, being a bit of a transient, his teachings about love and forgiveness and restoration, his confrontation of the established religious and political order, all of these are very rarely disputed. We can accept those things. We're actually, those things we think they're cool. We embrace those things. Jesus, we're cool with that part of Jesus. Actually, you can even say Jesus was a bit of an innovator. He started Christianity. But the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus poses a different problem altogether. Because resurrections don't happen. You're thinking, okay, I'll take the teachings of Jesus. Thank you very much. Those are great. Those will help me. But no thanks on the resurrection. If you're a skeptic, you're not alone. Everyone in this account was a skeptic. 
Actually, if you're not a skeptic about the resurrection, there's probably something you're not thinking about. Because here's the deal. Dead people stay dead. Okay, this is not new information. Okay, you didn't come to church like, what'd you learn today? Well, I learned that. I think everyone knows this. This is not new. This is not a discovery of modern science. We did not just come up with this in the 18th century during the Enlightenment. People have always known this. Dead people don't come back. Everybody knows this. Actually, about 20 years ago, a group of critical scholars got together to basically vote to decide their collective view of the historicity of the sayings and the deeds of Jesus. And in order to disprove the resurrection, they had a local coroner come in and testify to the group that dead people stay dead. They said, okay, so today we're talking about the resurrection. Okay, we, we brought in a local coroner. Um, Jesus did not rise from the dead. Why, coroner? Well, from my expertise, dead people stay dead. Case closed. There you go. He did not rise from the dead. Yeah, that's not new information. They knew this in the first century. We cannot commit, as C.S. Lewis calls this, chronological snobbery. Where we think, well, we're further along now. We're not as naive as they were back then. People back then, they believed in anything. They're primitive. Primitive. They believed in that sort of thing. But today we're modern and we know that the dead stay dead. They knew that as well. Did you notice how surprised everyone was in this text? The women went to the tomb early in the morning and they were carrying spices, it says in verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. They had spices because he was dead. Jesus' body was in the tomb dead and they wanted to anoint him and embalm his body. They didn't skip to the tomb thinking, I wonder if today he rose from the dead. I wonder if it's going to be today. They get there. There's a stone that's rolled away. They walk in. The tomb is empty. There's the grave clothes there. They're thinking probably that someone stole the body. And all of a sudden, bam, these two angels in dazzling apparel, just bling everywhere, show up. And, and they have the best lines. They get the best line in this whole thing. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? They were probably saving that one for a very long time. That's a great line. Why are you looking for the living among dead people hang out in tombs? Okay? Not living people, unless you're weird. Okay? Dead people hang out in, in tombs. This is not a place where living people come and hang out. He is not here. He is risen. Run back and tell the disciples. A side note. Women were not credible witnesses in the first century. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't serve as witnesses in any legal dispute. Their testimony was not admissible evidence in any court. But who did God decide should be the first to witness the angel's announcement? Who would be the first eyewitnesses? Who would tell the world? Women. Now, if this story were made up, nobody would have put women as the first eyewitnesses. Nobody would do that. In that time, it could only have damaged the credibility of their testimony. No, he did rise from the dead. These women, oh, they're, they're not admissible. Why is it there? Because it happened. So the women get to the disciples and they tell them everything they saw and everything they heard. Luke 24, 9. And returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Not because they were women, but because dead people stay dead. The word idle tale, that phrase, was an everyday Greek phrase to refer to the delirious stories told by the very sick as they suffer in great pain. Or to, or to tales told by those who fail to perceive reality. They're going, you guys are not perceiving reality correctly. When actually just a couple verses later, in Luke 
24, 36, Luke says that the disciples didn't even believe when Jesus was standing right in front of them. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood, by, stood among them. Okay, so they're all freaking out because they hear stories of Jesus. And then Jesus stands among them and it's like, shalom. It's, it's an exclamation point because he probably yells it. Peace to you. How fun this must have been for Jesus just to pop in and say peace. And they're, they, they, they're startled. They're frightened. They're afraid. They thought that they had saw a spirit. See, in their worldview, they had room for spirits. Like, okay, it could be Jesus' spirit, the vision of Jesus. That, that, that fits in our worldview. Resurrection from the dead doesn't. So he must be a spirit. He is not flesh. There's no way in the world that he's risen from the dead. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts still? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. For they thought he was a ghost. When they see Jesus, there's not high fives going around. They don't see him like, oh my gosh, there he is. And they start high fiving everyone. Like, I told you, we told you, we're awesome. This is amazing. Look, they don't do that. They're scared. They're afraid. So if you're a skeptic, you're not the first skeptic. Nobody expected this to happen. The funniest, probably most interesting part of this story is the couple, Cleopas, and probably more than likely his wife. They leave Jerusalem and they head back to Emmaus right in the middle of angels buzzing around and possible sightings of Jesus. They're in Jerusalem. Angels are showing up everywhere. And all of a sudden, people are saying, we, I think we saw Jesus. And they're going, okay, that's great. We would stick around and witness the most important event in human history. But we have dinner plans in Emmaus tonight. So we got to go. And they leave. They leave Jerusalem. And they go to Emmaus. Why would you leave at a time like this? Because they doubted too. It's strange that the disciples, if you've ever read through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples, for the most part, are characterized, that, in the Gospels, are characterized as open to miracles. They're amazed, but they don't necessarily disbelieve in the miracles of Jesus. When Jesus restores the sight of a blind man or calms a storm, they're filled with wonder and awe. But no one ever says, nope, I don't believe it, I'm out of here, there's no way. But on the occasion of the resurrection, everyone had to be persuaded. This is an important point because the resurrection is a central hope of the Christian faith. But the church did not come to believe it so easily. You are not the first skeptic. That's what this story teaches us. But more than that, this text also teaches us that you're not the first dreamer. As Cleopas and his wife made their way to Emmaus. Jesus himself draws near to them. They don't recognize him. They're jibber-jabbering. They're talking about everything that has happened these last several days. They're talking about Friday, how Jesus was, he stood trial. He was tortured. He was crucified. He died. They buried him. How Saturday, everyone hid in fear that the same fate awaits their leader as their leader, Jesus. They wanted to kill them as well, so they all hid. The women wait until Sunday morning to embalm him. Sunday comes around. They make their way to the tomb with their spices in hand, but the tomb is empty. There's this buzz in the air. They don't quite understand it. Jesus is eavesdropping. He's walking right behind them. And he pulls up next to him. He's like, so um, what are you guys talking about? Why are you guys so worked up? Why are you guys, what do you guys talk about as you walk? I mean, and they turn to him. They go, are you kidding me? Are you, are you, are you serious? Where have you been? Were you living under a rock or something? I wish they would have said that. <laughs> that would have been Awesome. Jesus would have been like, well. <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about? 
What are you guys talking about as you walk? Where have you, like, and, and, and they were like, where have you been? Are, are you, don't you know the things that have happened? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened in the last couple days? And Jesus' playfulness, he's like, what things? Then they say, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. This is probably the most emotional part. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Though many of us here might carry an exterior of skepticism, I think every single one of us deep down dream. We all deep, deeply hope that something like the resurrection were true. We all hope that death doesn't have the last word. We all hope that cancer and depression and injustice don't have the final say. When we hope and we dream for peace, whether you're dreaming and you're hoping for inner peace, if you have turmoil in your own soul, in your own heart, and you can never rest, you can never sleep, you, there's things that you've done that you want someone just to say, it's okay, or something's happened to you, you don't have inner peace, and you've looked for that in every possible place in San Francisco. And you've not found it yet. If you're dreaming for that peace or hoping for that peace, or maybe you're one of those that just wants world peace. I mean, there's some stuff going on in your own heart, but you're like, I don't really care. I just want world peace. I want world peace so bad, and I'm working, working towards world peace. When we want inner peace or we want world peace, what we are saying, what we are really hoping for, what we're dreaming about is redemption. That someone or something would redeem us and liberate us from the reality of brokenness, of evil, the misuse of power, the pain of loss, the temptation of sin. You know why Cleopas and his wife were leaving Jerusalem that day? Because they had hope that Jesus was that redemption. They had hope that he was the one to redeem. They had put all their hope in him. They followed him. They seen his miracles. They heard his teachings. They believed the hype. But Jesus was killed, which meant the religious establishment won again. Rome won again. Evil won again. That's why they were leaving. This is why these two travelers looked at the resurrected Jesus not knowing that it was him on that road and said, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem us. But they crucified him. So he couldn't have been. Jesus' death was the end of that hope. One of my dearest and best friends has a daughter who's eight years old now. Her name is Daisy Love and she has cancer. And she got cancer a couple, several years ago. They found a grapefruit-sized tumor in her abdomen. And they removed it, and she went through all this radiation treatment, and it was gone. They finally got rid of all of it. She survived. She was a cancer survivor. And then just about a year and a half ago, my friend was teaching here at Reality San Francisco, and I was gone, and he was teaching for me. And he got a phone call saying that Daisy is sick again. She needs to go to the hospital. Something's really wrong. So he flies home. Him and his wife fly home, and they go to the hospital to find that the tumor's back. And the second time was a really, really hard one. It took, a, it took a lot of radiation therapy and chemotherapy to get rid of it. This last time in surgery. And finally they did. Finally she was gone. Her hair was growing back. She went to her Make-A-Wish thing, which was Disney World. 
And she went there healthy with her family. And then this last week, Daisy goes up to her mom and dad and said, I think the cancer's back. I feel it. I feel weak and I think it's back. And so they go in to, to see and sure enough, there's a golf ball-sized tumor where the other ones have been. And this was Thursday. So Thursday night, he's like, just asking everyone who knows about the situation, please pray. What we're praying for is that when we go tomorrow, that the golf ball-sized tumor is gone. Friday, our, our, our PET scan, it's gone. Or that it's some other growth or something that's not cancerous and we just remove it. And so we had, we had actually, we had a prayer meeting. There's people all over the nation praying. And we, were, we went to bed, I went to bed hopeful. The, the prayers that people prayed, the prayers of faith that people prayed. That next morning, after they got back from the hospital, he posted on his Facebook that he said, the miracle we were praying for didn't happen. We had hoped that the, the, the scan as it came back would be gone. We had this hope in this thing. And now it's just, if you know this feeling, it's anger. It's frustration. If you've ever hoped for something so deeply, you want it to happen so bad, and you've even prayed, and you might not even pray, but you prayed this time, you're like, God, if you're God, you can do anything. Can you make this happen? And you put your hope in this thing, and it doesn't happen. You have to understand that this is the context of Easter morning. When they woke up, they weren't cheering and chipper. They weren't excited like you and I woke up this morning excited about Easter. They woke up thinking we had hoped that he was the one to redeem us. We had hoped that in Jesus who calmed storms and walked on water and healed blind people and even raised and resuscitated a girl and Lazarus from the dead, we had hoped that he was the one. But they killed him. And what makes the road to Emmaus story so playful, so spectacular, so heartwarming, so wonderful is that their hope died when Jesus died, but that hope rose from the dead and conquered death. And he was standing right in front of them, and they did not even know it. They were saying, Cleopas was saying, we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel, but he died. And Jesus all the while standing right there going, but I'm back. I'm back from the dead. Their hope isn't dead because Jesus is risen. The resurrection means that cancer doesn't have the final word. That death doesn't have the final word. The resurrection is why Daisy, what she did was on her way um, to the hospital, she wrote a song. She took the Bob the Builder song, which I've never seen Bob the Builder, but apparently has a song. And she put the words, um, God, you can heal me. Yes, you can. Or I don't know if you know the song, you know what I'm talking about. Um, If you have the CD in your car or whatever. Um, But she changed the lyrics of that song to say, God the healer, can you heal me? Oh, there it is. Yeah, God the healer, can you heal me? God the healer, yes, you can. And she would sing that. And Britt got it on video and he was sending it out to people. Like she was singing. This is like her, why? Because the resurrection's real. God can heal her. God will ultimately heal her. Cancer does not have the final word and a little eight-year-old girl knows this. It doesn't have the final word because Jesus is risen. You want this to be true. You need this to be true. If you care about alleviating hunger and disease or caring for the environment, let me ask you what happens in your worldview in the end. We all burn up, the sun stops shining and we all die, or you just die. If you, th- if you thought about it long enough, you, you realize that your worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. 
what the resurrection says is that this world matters. That God has broken into this world with life, real, true life, and is undoing everything that corruption and evil and sin is doing. N.T. Wright says, the message of the resurrection is that this present world matters. That the problems and the pains of this present world matter. That the living God has made a bridgehead into this present world and is healing and all-conquering, his all-conquering love. And that in the name of this love, all evils, all injustices, and all pains of the present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won the day. That is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make no bones about it. Easter day was the first great answer to that prayer. That is why we who celebrate Easter do so with material things, water, bread, wine, and at Eucharist. Easter is about the living God claiming the world of time and space and matter as his own. That is why Christians celebrate it with candles and flowers and incense and processions and banners and above all music. The world of creation has been reclaimed by the living and healing God. The resurrection And the message of the resurrection is that the injustices and the pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing and justice have won. This is why Jesus said right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Lastly, what we learn from this text is that Christ is the first fruits of a new creation. Now, that might be cryptic. You're like, what does a first fruit mean? I don't understand what that means. It means that when Jesus rose from the dead, he opened a way to a new life. He was the first, and he opened the doors wide open for new life to happen here, now, presently. A new way of love, of reconciliation, of healing, and hope. See, when Jesus died, it wasn't the victory of injustice and violence and Rome and sin and evil and and, and the powers that be. It was a victory over all those things. It was a victory over injustice and violence and and evil and sin. That is why when the scriptures say that Christ died for our sins, he died for, for our sins and he rose from the dead offering us new life. Let me show you at the end of this story what it looked like. So they're walking along, Cleopas, his wife, Jesus, so they draw near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he was going further, farther. But they urged him strongly, No, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them, and he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. I love love that. Jesus, oh, where'd he go? He's there, and they're like, we see him, and then he's gone. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The Bible says that the problem with us, the deep problem with us, why we try to put the world right, and it just never gets there. The problem with the world is human rebellion. It's us denying God, us de-godding God, us trying to live independent from our maker, God. Us living self-centered lives. The first time this happened, we're told, it happened at a meal. It happened during a meal. It was the first meal mentioned in the Bible. Husband and wife, who at that time lived in perfect harmony and peace, they together ate a forbidden fruit. And when they ate this fruit, it says this in Genesis 3. Then the eyes 
of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Their eyes were opened to the reality of their rebellion. They were exposed in the worst way possible. They hid themselves from each other, and they hid themselves from God. And we've been hiding ourselves from each other and hiding ourselves from God ever since. But what happens at the end of the Emmaus story? Another meal, husband and wife. Jesus takes bread. He breaks it, which looks a lot like communion. He gives it to them to eat, and as they ate of this meal that Jesus gave them, their eyes were opened, and they knew it was Jesus. You know what this is saying? This is saying that the answer to human rebellion and sin and brokenness and nakedness and hiding from God is Jesus. Jesus is undoing Genesis chapter 3. That's what this says. That's what, the, that's what this is about. This is an undoing through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's undoing rebellion. It's undoing brokenness. It's undoing that separation that we have from God. It's undoing all this thing. And now righteousness comes in. Forgiveness comes in. Love comes in. We can know God. We can see Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection means that we can come into peace and joy, love, the redemption that we had always hoped for. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. Death does not have to have the final word. Sin does not have to have the final word. Evil does not have to have the final word. The resurrection means that we can be restored. That Jesus is the first fruits of this new thing that, that God's doing. This new campaign of love and joy and freedom. We can know it now. This is not pie in the sky. This is not like, oh yeah, the Christian life is like, when I die, I... No, it's right now. It's right now. God's world is breaking into our world. That's what the resurrection means. So the, how do we respond to this? In what ways does the Bible and the church give us to respond to this? Two ways that Jesus initiated. The first is, has historically been communion. We have communion here. It's to my right and my left, down here, and they're also up there in the balcony. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. My, this is my body. I give it to you. I'm gonna, it's broken for you. That you can have a relationship with me. I'm dying in your place. You deserve, you deserve hell. You deserve death. You deserve all these things. But I'm taking your place. My body broken for you. And then at the end of supper, he took a cup of wine. And he said, this cup is a new, the new covenant in my blood. My blood's going to be shed for you. My life for your life. And so this is what he did. He said, I give it to you. And then there was, a, there was something that they were to do as well. He said, take and eat. Have you ever thought of it that way? Like, not just communion because I have to because it's religious, but I'm taking communion. Christ has given it, his life for me. And then I'm appropriating it to my own life. I'm becoming one with this truth. I'm saying, yes, I need you. Yes, your life for my life. I Accept that. I become one with that truth in the most simple way by eating bread that's been dipped in a cup. You're saying, and what we're going to say today as a redeemed people, is that I believe in Jesus. And I, his life was given for me, and I take and I eat. I take in the reality of Jesus. I take in his truth. I become one with the fact that I'm a sinner and I need Christ. And that resurrection life is given to me. Offer to you by God. Communion is the way that we say yes to this. Communion is the way that we respond to this. And so we'll take communion as we sing. But the second is baptism. 
Both of them are identifiers saying that I've identified with Jesus. If you've ever seen a baptism, it normally goes something like this. Somebody's standing there above water and they're immersed in water and they come up out of the water. And it's, a, it's an identification. It's like I have been dead to my sin and I die in Christ. I'm, I go under in the grave like Christ did, but I also come back out new, washed, clean, healed, restored, forgiven by God. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. This is how we respond. So first let me ask you, to receive, to take communion. Let's take communion. If you've not been baptized, be baptized. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. We believe, Lord. We believe that Christ has died for our sins, that he's risen for our justification, and that you are sending out a whole, a whole bunch of people being redeemed by you into this world, into San Francisco to bring about the love and the redemption and the renewal of Jesus Christ. We are saying that the resurrection, Lord, is not something far off. It's here and now. And I pray that we would experience it today through communion. We would experience it today through songs as we sing very loudly. As we respond to you in prayer, as we respond to you by kneeling, posture, Lord, We want to be a people, a resurrection people that say that our God is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.